We have so missed having our choir, of course, for these weeks, but we have also been so lifted and blessed by all of the wonderful solos. It's been so beautiful. Thank you, and thanks to all of you who've been singing us through these days. The peace of our Lord be with you. I, of course, cannot speak for you, but as for me, I have found myself in a number of conversations across the past two weeks concerning our nation's present season of struggle and pain, many of which have taken me back over and over to childhood memories, memories of a childhood uh, punctuated with moments of racial struggle. The day my grandfather, who I loved and still do more than life itself, God rest his soul, chased from his yard with threats, the brown-skinned child I had met at the store around the corner and brought home to play. The day I got in trouble for inviting an elderly black woman to sit next to my mother and myself on the front seat, the only empty seat on a city bus. The day I got in even more trouble for trying to drink from the colored water fountain at the J.C. Penney's department store on Hillcrest Avenue in Macon, Georgia. Honestly, almost all of my earliest clear childhood memories having something to do with race, which the, the Presbyterian part of myself sometimes wonders if that was God preparing me all those years ago to come and serve a church which was birthed on the wide and open door. all of which came home to me in a quiet but powerful way early this week when I received a call from a young man who grew up here at Northminster, baptized in this water and formed from his birth by this family of faith but now living and working many states away, he had called to ask my thoughts concerning the intersection of our shared Christian faith and our nation's present moment of racial struggle. 
I, of course, could not answer his question from the perspective of a person of a color or generation different from mine. I could only answer his question from the perspective of a soon-to-be 65-year-old white man who grew up in Macon, Georgia in the 1950s and 60s. I said to him, whatever I say to you about this in private, I must be willing to say in public goes with the job, right? And so with his permission, I will say to you what I said to him, which is this. Even though I grew up in a lower middle class family with little financial resources and no social standing. Still, because I happen to have been born white, I was born on the powerful and privileged side of human difference. And since folk like myself have held most of the power for most of the time, folk like myself bear most of the responsibility for the way things are and for changing things. Now, I don't have a smartphone or a computer or anything like that, but I'm sufficiently plugged in to popular culture to know that since the late 1980s, early 1990s, uh, many people call that kind of thinking white guilt. And th that may well be the case for others. I can only speak for myself. But for me, to speak that way is not about feeling guilt. It's about speaking truth. Truth that I have learned primarily from the Trinity we celebrate today with the church throughout the world. Particularly one experience I had with the Trinity. I'm not one who glibly goes about saying the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. I recognize the danger 
in being too free and easy with that kind of speech. But I guess when it happens, you do have to own it, right? So I was out walking in our neighborhood where Marsha and I live. It's two or three, four years ago. I don't remember how long. And there had been something that had happened in our national life that I knew I, I was going to have to speak about clearly. And I was fearful of doing it. And I wanted to be certain that I did it in a way that was kind. You know those moments in life when you just know you must not sacrifice kindness on the altar of clarity, but you also must not sacrifice clarity on the altar of kindness. Ah, you've been there. You probably are there right now. So I was walking along. I was worried and feeling fearful. And as I was walking, I said to the first part of the Trinity, God, why do I have to have this burden? Why, why, do, why do I have to have this relentless calling to sit down with and stand up for whoever was born on the other side of human difference from the side on which I was born? And then another part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit reminded me that the other part of the Trinity, Jesus, is reported to have said, to whom much is given, much is required. The whole Trinitarian trio joining voices to remind me that to be born on the powerful side of human difference is to live with a moral, spiritual, Christian responsibility to work for justice and equality, healing and peace which, as you will recall from your own reading of the four Gospels, is actually exactly the way the Trinity works. Jesus, one-third of the Trinity, says in John 13 that it is time for him to go back to God. Another third of the Trinity, but that his friends should not be afraid or worried because once he is gone, the other third of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, will come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will remind Jesus' followers of what Jesus said before Jesus went back home to God. I call that the street trinity, the practical 
Trinity. The Trinity in work clothes and walking shoes. We ask God, what should we be doing and saying in this present moment of struggle and pain? And the Holy Spirit says, live, speak, and act the way Jesus said. For you to live, speak, and act. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who speak ill of you. Go the second mile. Do to all others as you want all others to do to you. Oh, children of God, I know it's not that simple. I know there are a thousand layers of complexity to our present moment of struggle and pain. made all the more complex by the relentless barrage on news feeds and Facebook and Instagram presenting us all with the false choice of the exaggerated option if you stand in solidarity with persons in minorities, you don't love and appreciate law enforcement. If you love and appreciate law enforcement, you don't stand in solidarity with oppressed persons. Oh, there are a few things more destructive than the false choice of the exaggerated option and now it's so relentless because of all these devices sometimes I feel like that Pentecostal holiness mountain preacher that Marcia and I found on the radio on our sabbatical time before last we'd gone into Atlanta that morning and went to Ebenezer Baptist Church it was Father's Day. We had a great time and we got in the car and we were about two hours north of Atlanta working our way up through the mountains. As we were winding our way around, we picked up this uh, Pentecostal holiness radio preacher. And um, in what has to be one of the greatest sentences spoken in 21st century Christianity, he said to his congregation, Y'all need to get off Facebook and get your face in the book. Of all the sentences I wish I had said. Oh, children of God. Children of God. I know. I know it's not just as simple as 
asking one-third of the Trinity, God, what should I do and say? And having another third of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, remind us that the other third of the Trinity, Jesus said, love your neighbor, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who speak ill of you. Go the second mile. Do to all others as you want all others to do to you. And remember, to whom much is given, much is required. I know. I know it's not that simple. But I also know, children of God, that when we do respond to what the Trinity says with faith and fear, there are moments, small, beautiful, tender, strong moments, when the Trinitarian trio in heaven becomes a gospel quartet on earth.